Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Jenna Christensen, digital strategist with Arkstone. Jenna, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, we met a few years ago uh, at different conferences trying to talk about communications and how we help uh, charities, and you, of course, here at Arkstone helping others. But why don't you tell me a little bit more about Arkstone and the work that you do here? Sure. So Arkstone is a full-service digital agency. I'd say about 30 to 40% of our work is with nonprofit organizations, and the remainder is with for-profit businesses. Uh, but typically, the reason that nonprofits come to us is they're looking to build a new website, either from scratch or to work with their existing one, and that is usually done with WordPress. So we standardized on WordPress 12 years ago. If it's not a WordPress redesign, they're coming to us to increase engagement. So whether that's donors, volunteers, uh, general awareness, or trying to attract you know, those that use their services. And so we usually use marketing tactics, um, typically in the digital side, to, to work with them and help them accomplish their goals. So really what we do runs the gamut also along support and networking and application development. But in terms of nonprofits, those are usually the primary two reasons that they come to us. Well, interesting to hear that you've been um, talking about WordPress specifically for that long because mm-hmm. uh, it has gotten to be, the, I think, you know, the biggest thing in the nonprofit sector, certainly. But if we believe the stuff that you see at WordPress.com, uh, you know, a third of the web in general is mm-hmm. running on WordPress now. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- I think there are reasons for that. But why do you think WordPress has become sort of the de facto um, way of creating websites? Yeah, it's really been um, a long process, mm-hmm. I guess. So they just had their 15th anniversary. So we've been working with WordPress almost that long, like I said, coming on 12 years. But when we first started working with it, if you remember, it was really a blogging platform. Right. So at that time, most websites were really custom built or very static in nature. Really content marketing mm-hmm. and ongoing content creation was not a focus of really web design at that time, I would say. And so it came in as the blogging platform, and a lot of people kind of still view it that way, which is unfortunate because over the years, it's evolved into a full-blown content management system that's extremely robust. I'd say in terms of the reasons why it's become so popular is, like you mentioned, there is an extremely large community, both of developers and users, and that's really how it's powered. And so it's constantly evolving and changing and becoming better. Uh, There's thousands of plugins that can be used that make it very adaptable. And then the reason that we actually chose it back then, as opposed to using something like Drupal or Joomla, is because of its user-friendly backend for our clients. So we felt like that would be the easiest system for them to manage, and that definitely hasn't changed. We're actually hearing more and more that systems like Drupal are very difficult and cumbersome to use. That being said, those systems can be right for the right type of project, but right. for the majority of our clients, WordPress is usually the right choice. So I, I guess I kind of buried the lead as why am I asking for some of your time today? Because uh, Arkstone just recently um, published some information about um, making decisions on how you present yourself through WordPress. Um, you know, what kind of a theme might you use? Do you create your own? Do you customize one that's out there? Do you? Um, and um, I was so excited to see that in a fairly small amount of words, you were able to communicate a lot of really important information, including talking about um, what it might cost you to make some of those decisions. So mm-hmm. we'll have a link to that particular post uh, from Arkstone in the show notes here. But it's a really good uh, moment to say, okay, 
there's all kinds of ways that you could present on the web. There's a, a, a million different things. You mentioned Drupal and Joomla, both of which I have played around in. But mm -hmm. I actually remember starting on uh, uh, Dreamweaver. Sure. Uh, that was, you know, this thing. But if I wanted a new web page back then, and you know, now we're talking the 20th century, you know, I had to build the page from mm -hmm. a template and hope that if I ever changed the template, it would cascade. It was supposed to, but it didn't always work beautifully. Now we're talking about, as you said, content management. Now we're creating content, not thinking I have to build a page for it. I have to decide on some content, and the system is going to create another instance of a page, as it were, um, and share that around. It's a very different world for people to be able to create more information to share with their potential supporters without having to think of, oh my gosh, I have to do all of these very technical things to do. So um, I'm, I'm glad to talk a little bit about content management and those other types of systems, the Drupal's, the Joomla's, all the rest of it. But WordPress, I, I agree, I think is sort of the most user-friendly and within the nonprofit sector, very often not having technology folks on staff need something that they can work with their communications team, their fundraising team to be able to do all this. Okay. So with that said, let me ask you a little bit about that jumping off point of the um, post that you put up about how and when do you decide what's the right way to kind of theme your presentation on the web about who you are. Um, and thank you again for sharing some pricing ideas on what that might be. It's something that's so rare to see. Um, but how do you begin with a charity or any other partner that you're working with talking about um, what's the right um, theme visual type of presentation to embed messaging in? Sure. And it's even a challenge for us sometimes to help people choose that because there are so many options. So I yeah. can only imagine what it's like for someone that has maybe little to no experience in choosing a platform, feeling like they need to do that online research, not knowing what they should even budget. You know, there's Squarespace. There's so many options, right? And right. so Wix us, uh, is yeah. getting a lot of traction with some folks, uh, all those kinds of things. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So there's so many options and that's something that I think is really fun is helping people not only understand what the spectrum is, but then why or why not some of those options might be good for them. So usually the biggest thing it comes down to with any project is really audience. Yeah. And so both your internal and external audiences should be thought of first. There's other factors that go into it like budget. Um, the beauty of working with nonprofits is they often have an idea of their budget mm -hmm. um, or at least, you know, something that would be way out of their range or something yeah. that would be reasonable. And sometimes those are the first things that we discuss along with what are some of the what's the purpose of the web presence? What are the actions that you're looking for people to take? What's some of the functionality you need? Do you need a calendar? Do you need the ability to integrate with your CRM or a, um, an email software system? So it's really requirements gathering. In terms of the different options that are out there, it could be anything from a pre-built and pre-purchased theme. Typically, we ward against that, and that's one of the things that's outlined kind of in that post, actually, is because then you are at the mercy of whoever built that theme. Mm -hmm. So that's usually the reason that we ward against it. There can also be security issues. If the developer that originally built that WordPress theme no longer supports it, your system could be vulnerable, your website could be hacked. So even though there are some really great supported themes out there and it's a good choice for, for some organizations, we typically here at Arkstone at least ward against it. It also can, unless you're thinking really thoroughly about your audience and content, and you're ending up having to kind of force your content into that design and user experience, which might not 
be appropriate for your audience, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the middle option that we had kind of outlined in that post is something that we have started using within the past few years. It's called the WordPress Divi Builder, which is essentially kind of the middle ground, right, between the template and the completely custom site, which allows both us and users to more rapidly build out a website. It uses modules. A lot of people now request drag and drop functionality, which is difficult to build into a custom site. So they're looking to be able to, you know, excuse me, rapidly build a landing page and kind of drop in different features or modules. Divi is something that allows you to do that. So for certain situations, kind of lower budget organizations or smaller organizations, that is a good fit for them. On the flip side, really the ideal scenario is always custom, sure. right? And so, you know, just like building a house, you would love to design your own from the ground up. And that's typically the ideal scenario. But there is some downsides to doing that as well. Obviously, it's much more expensive. It's time intensive. And it also can be more expensive to maintain it or adapt it over time because you are building a custom theme of your own. If you are looking to, um, you know, redesign the front end or add new page layouts that you haven't already built, that can be very costly as opposed to something like Divi where you're able to do a little bit of that more on your own. Um, I'm happy to speak to any of the pros and cons of all those options because it's certainly nuanced. It's not black and white. Right. It's a lot. And I think for the um, charity that uh, you know maybe had that more static brochureware type web page in the 20th century and really hasn't done much with it mm-hmm. over the last 15 years, like, well, we have a website, but now we are posting on Facebook or, you know, we're doing other things. They're not, I think, thinking of how are they um, bringing people to a website that they have some control over. And, uh, you know, more and more and more, I think people are waking up to the fact that you can do that. It's better. There's all sorts of good reasons to. Um, but often we'll step in at kind of that lowest point of entry. It's like, well, there's a theme. I can just pick that up and go with it. There's the free theme, let alone the, the, the ones that I might pay some very nominal dollar amount for. But I think where I might begin by asking kind of at that low end is the idea of either um, you know, buying access to somebody else's theme that you're hoping they're going to maintain for a while and then creating a child theme out of that so that it is somewhat more customized to you, but then you're still sort of dependent on that first developer to maintain the parent theme, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, is that something that you talk with people about if they're going to have to pre-purchase something, they don't want to invest in something more custom and they're not going Divi yet? Um, that they talk about customizing a theme that has been out there so that they do have a little bit more look that's theirs? Yeah, definitely. And there are scenarios where purchasing that theme is a good choice. One thing that we try to do and bring to that conversation is offering really vetted themes that we would approve of them using, right? Especially if we're going to be the one hosting because we know the implications of choosing the wrong type of theme. And so there are some that are appropriate and would be the best fit for a client at that time. And so coming in with that really pragmatic mindset, but also being a little bit risk averse in terms of what you know, themes you're actually choosing, sure. uh, which can reduce the amount of ones that are available, right? Yeah. But you're exactly right. For the right type of organization, you know, adapting that, making it their own, you know, could very well be the right option. As, as recently as even five years ago, people had to be very careful that they were looking for mobile responsive. Um, but I haven't looked at new themes recently that don't just come that way. I mean, is anybody still building stuff that doesn't meet those kinds of base criteria where it does the things you need it to do? I mean, are there people that are 
getting involved in something and then they realize halfway through a project, oh my gosh, this isn't whatever mobile responsive. It doesn't do something that I needed it to do or do most of the more popular ones that you vetted. It's like, well, of course it's mobile responsive. Everything we build in is mobile responsive. Yeah, I would say 95% of, you know, any sort of theme or even, you know, people approaching us are expecting it to be mobile responsive and they are. But that being said, you, when you're working with any sort of theme or Divi for that matter, you have to play within their rules, Mm -hmm. right? You have to set up kind of guardrails in terms of how you use that system and making sure that you're following that. Because if you don't follow those kind of rules that they have set up, then the things that you'd expect it might do won't happen. So an example might be if you don't upload the right size images, Mm -hmm. the site will be slow. That's not necessarily the theme's fault. That's the, I guess, fault of who is setting it up or maybe the developer you're working with and, and that being said. So I guess I would ward, if you are looking to to prop up a theme or your own site, to probably work with a consultant or an agency to make sure that you're kind of coloring within those lines mm. so that the theme is working for you and you're not running into these unforeseen issues. That really plays into plug-in choice as yeah. well. So that's another example of something that we take a really hard look at and have a, you know, really 10 to 15 plugins that we would recommend for basic functionality that we feel are really well supported and secure. And so that's another advantage, you know, of maybe working with someone who is a WordPress expert is they can help you make those decisions because if you install the wrong plugin, that can really make your entire site or theme vulnerable. Right. Uh, and I, I started working with a new client recently and nothing had been updated in, I don't know, at least a year or two. I don't know how long it had been. Um, but I began the process of just updating um, all of the installation stuff to, to your point about the security issues, you know, right away. Not recognizing that, in fact, one of the plugins broke the whole dang installation. We had to go in from FTP and disable the plugins in order to get the site back. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never run into that before. But apparently it happens if you're not careful about those plugins. You can literally disable everything. And that was a horrifying learning experience for me, but it's a good one. Yeah, that can be a definite uh issue that clients come in come to us with usually mm-hmm. because they've been managing it themselves yeah. or don't have someone actively managing the site. So if you have a WordPress install, there's usually these alerts at the top mm-hmm. that are saying, update this, update right. this. If, if this you go to in. your admin panel, you'll yeah. see that. <laughs> if yeah. you've never gone to your admin exactly. panel in the last year, nobody is telling you. Yeah. So they make it seem like a very urgent warning to mm-hmm. make those updates, you know, even WordPress core itself. Right. So one thing that we do to kind of mitigate against that, it's not necessarily that urgent. So usually three to five times a year, we update all the WordPress sites here. Because like you said, if you update them as they come in or willy-nilly or set up automatic updates, you can unknowingly break your site. So usually trying to be a little bit more mindful. Sometimes we even wait for several iterations of that update so they can work out bug fixes. And then after we make an update, we make sure that we're monitoring that site for anything that looks wonky. Because you can't, you know, prevent any sort of issue. Uh, so you have to be, you know, mindful that those updates could change or, or even break a theme. Yeah. So let me ask you to talk a little bit about um, themes and plugins for the charity that doesn't have a staff member that really manages all this stuff for them. Uh, how do you help them think about 
um, what that that plug-in functionality thing is. If you mention, you know, maybe there's 15 or so that you feel like these are are usually pretty good. They don't work for everybody. They're not not all of them, but these would be the ones that we would kind of consider. Um, why aren't those things native in WordPress? Why are they plugins? You know, how do you help people think about what does a plugin do for them that they don't just get with a basic WordPress install? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think it's because everyone's needs are so different mm -hmm. that the, those typically aren't native. There definitely seems to be kind of preferred plugins are definitely the most popular ones that you see. For instance, with forms, you mm -hmm. might see, I think it's contact form seven at sure. this point that a lot of people use. We prefer to use gravity forms. Uh, we also use uh, Yoast SEO in terms of being able to update and optimize. That seems like something that should be built into Core WordPress, and I can't ex exactly speak to why it's not at this point, but it probably comes down to everyone having different needs. Yeah. You know, especially since, really, if you just install WordPress at its core, it's really just blog functionality. Right. And so for that yeah. type of user, a lot of these other features are probably unnecessary. So how I think thinking about those plugins as that, that first question you started out with, who's the audience for this thing? What are you trying to get done? Um, and with many charities, of course, there's there's multiple audiences, plural. And sometimes that might even mean it's not a bad idea to have multiple websites, plural, but certainly multiple paths of navigation for sure. Um, so if you've got a, a core constituency you're serving, there's one path to say, here's how you access services, here's how you enroll, here's how you contact us, whatever those things may be. But almost everybody I work with anyway needs another path in there of um, here's why what we do is important, even if you yourself are not going to be taking advantage of the service or participating or whatever. Here's how you support it. Volunteer, donate, you know, those things. The, those different ways of communicating with different audiences have different needs, you know. Uh, so I think looking at who those audiences are, I mean, at what point do you say WordPress is really good at doing some of these things, but maybe we need a second site, a subsite, uh, whatever. How do you help determine when one audience is too confusing or, or multiple audiences are too confusing for one site, or is that ever the case? That is the biggest, I guess, challenge that we face with nonprofit organizations. Typically, they come to us with at least three audiences, yeah. if you're looking at donors, volunteers, general public, but usually it's closer to probably six to 12 when yeah. you break those down into different constituents. So one of the biggest problems I see to just kind of back up at one of the core issues is that there's at least their homepage or the site in general is trying to speak to everyone at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Especially on homepages because yeah. everyone's program and department is the most important. Right. right? Absolutely. And so they need to make sure they have that real estate when really the importance of the homepage should be to say, this is who we serve, how we serve them, what we do, and then guide those people down that path and not feel the need to always have to be highlighting the next event or gala or all these programs and everything on the homepage. So that's one thing that I try to help people understand is that you need to be a little bit more general and informative first and then have people dive down those different routes. When it comes to having an audience be maybe more appropriate for an external or a different platform, that's a really common question we get. And there is risk to breaking out a site into multiple entities, right? Yeah. Because not only could that hurt your overall visibility by removing that content or having a brand new domain, um, so that's it's an interesting challenge and there isn't a right or wrong answer just in 
generalities. We do have a client right now that we had to ask the similar question. They are a foundation, but they also have a program that serves teachers. So I won't get into who the actual Mm -hmm. client is, but they had them living on separate sites. But they came to us asking the question, the mission and kind of overarching focus for these two disparate programs is the same. The audience is different, but it's really part of us as a whole. Should we bring that into the fold? So what we ended up recommending for them is a subdomain within the existing site. And it looks very similar, so they're able to have more brand cohesiveness. But it lives within that one WordPress install. That also allows them to manage it more efficiently. It's not as disjointed for users that may be interested in both programs. Uh, So that was an instance where we did bring it under the fold. I'd say it's typically less likely that we would recommend maybe a certain program program having its own microsite, but there definitely are circumstances uh, where that might be necessary for sure. So there are other platforms that a lot of charities use that are also trying to um, kind of establish a relationship with them to keep traffic in spaces. And I'm thinking most specifically now about MailChimp with their landing pages thing, um, where um, so many charities that I know are using MailChimp much in the same way that so many are using WordPress. Um, and for some of the same reasons, it's relatively easy to do. It does feel kind of well, it's not really drag and drop, but it, it it feels more visual in the creation of it. It's a little bit easier for non-technical people to use. Um, but then they've got these big splashy things all over. Oh, well, we'll do the landing pages for you. We'll, we'll do all this. Come into, our, come into our space. And of course, WordPress and MailChimp integrate. If you want them to, you can tell those two things to talk to each other. So how do you um, keep track of all of those little opportunities of different places for people to have messages and still kind of know what's the most impactful thing that for the clients that you're working with. Yeah, that can be a challenge for sure. For instance, we have another client that uses Instapage because they found that really easy to rapidly build out their own landing pages without needing to do that within WordPress, you know, Mm because maybe they have a custom theme and they can't really do that without spending thousands of dollars on having, you know, a designer and developer create a brand new splash page for an event, for instance. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's a really common challenge and I'd say it's not even only a challenge for nonprofits, mm. right? Everyone, to a certain extent, wants to be able to do things on their own. However, for all those circumstances, there's pros and cons. For right. instance, with MailChimp, if you're building landing pages or having things outside of your WordPress site, that can hurt your visibility. Right. Or you might be missing opportunities where that should be pulling into a different database. So now you have all these disparate systems, say, with their own contact lists or their own functionality that aren't talking to each other. And, you know, integrating those can be expensive, but it can also be a huge time saver as well. So, you know, every situation really is different. We try to help people decide, you know, what's maybe overkill for certain systems that they should use. What's the disadvantage of maybe having their data live in a different place as well? And when should they be capturing those on their own site? Uh, So, like I said, there's never necessarily the right or wrong answer for everybody, but Having someone that you can ask that's maybe been there before, whether that's a, you know, an agency partner, developer, or even just someone at another nonprofit, mm-hmm. can really help so that you don't get too far down the rabbit hole, right, in choosing a system or an LMS or whatever it might be. And two years later, you realize, eh, we actually shouldn't have probably 
went down that path because WordPress has that built in, for instance. Right. So you just said LMS, and I don't know what that one is. That's a learning management system. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that would be like someone that you know provides training and certifications. A lot of nonprofits have mm-hmm. you know continuing education credits. Yeah. Sure. So that would be that's actually a really common example where someone is like, well, we need this functionality. Should we build this custom within WordPress? Is there a good plugin for it? Or do we need to purchase and source a SaaS product to handle that? And those are really common questions that we get and, and kind of right. can help people guide them towards the right option. And SaaS here, software as a service. Correct. Right? So, yep. um, so lots of different options for how charities might pursue that and think about how they bring people in. I, I always try to urge charities to think about how are you measuring what's actually impactful? And if you've got it spread out across 63 different places where people might be interacting with you, it's just harder to understand that. So you mentioned uh, a Yoast SEO as one thing, but some kind of analytics tool as another plugin above and beyond the basic WordPress stuff, I think is probably in your normal recommendation. Do you have a particular favorite plugin that you think helps really analyze what's working here and to some depth? Yes, definitely. So typically what we what we recommend is Google Analytics. And there's obviously that's kind of the standard Mm -hmm. uh, because obviously Google is the most popular search platform and they have control over a lot of that visibility. In terms of plugins for analyzing that, it's not necessarily a WordPress plugin, but we also use systems such as Crazy Egg, which is heat mapping software that Mm -hmm. allows you to analyze where users are, you know, visiting and clicking on within a web page. We also use Hotjar, which allows people to collect kind of survey data or polls. It also records users and their activities that gives you a little bit more insight. But really the default for nonprofits is Google Analytics. But it's really important to understand that just installing that and embedding that code, it might be tracking really basic data, but that's not often enough to really make thoughtful decisions and adjust maybe your strategy or understand what top pages are. So, you know, and there's a slew of tools that Google offers. Webmaster Tools is also important. That allows you to kind of understand how Google views your site along with Search Console. And there's also Tag Manager. So obviously these those are all Google tools and yeah. it sounds very confusing and we don't need to get into what each one of them does. But making sure that you are tracking the right things is really the bottom line and trying to understand what metrics are important for your site. But I'm glad you brought it up specifically because, um, well, a couple of reasons. One is to just reiterate uh, every time I need to do this um, that uh, Google Grants is out there for nonprofit organizations. So um, go on and actually turn it on. It's very easy to actually apply to do this, but that gives you $10,000 a month of, uh, you know, with some restrictions um, of Google AdWords purchasing power to help build on your native SEO opportunities and, and get in front of other audiences. So certainly that interacts extremely well with the Google Analytics and the Search Console and all those things. So you, that's important, I think, to keep that in mind. But you also do have to go in and, as you said, turn these things on. Uh, when you go into the Google Analytics uh, for the first time, you've got to kind of dig in and say, yes, I do actually want to collect demographic data. You know, get, get that for me. I, I want to know that and, and say yes. Now we've got um, GDPR warnings that are showing up on every single internet, everything that I've ever been to, and we're t- tuning them out, I think. But uh, for people that aren't aware of all the changes in Europe about the uh, general, what is GDPR again? General 
I can't remember what the D is, privacy regulation, general directorate, privacy regulation, something like that. But essentially, um, because of changes in Europe, lots of sites are trying to update how they talk about what do they collect when somebody visits them and how they interact. So Google being worldwide is very sensitive to that. And they've kind of turned things off by default. You have to go in and say, no, I really do want to know that. And if if I do encourage people to visit the site from a European community country, I need to have a policy to share that with people. Um, I don't know if you're seeing anybody that's, that are installing those uh, sorts of notices and, and privacy information, um, updating about GDPR, even though we, generally speaking, many of the charities I work with are not targeting those audiences, but of course the sites are accessible to them. Exactly. That's one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about GDPR, and that's kind of a whole other topic to get to, but yeah. one thing I would would like to say is... People think like, like you said, because I'm not targeting or we're not working with organizations or people in those countries, that doesn't mean that you're immune to it. Right. And that's why we're seeing so many alerts, obviously, in your inbox about it is because anyone that can visit your site and enter any sort of data or contact information or reach out to you from those countries, even though you might never work with them, you could be at risk. So we actually have a blog post on our own site that you could oh. also link to. We, we went cool. through the process ourselves and wrote a post about it in terms of what GDPR, how it can impact your business and what risks that you need to mitigate on your end. So that would be a really good place to start if people are like, you know, I haven't even had time to understand what that is. Uh, that would be a good place for them to go to. Yeah. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, general data privacy regulation, isn't that what the, the that D is correct. data? Um, whatever in the world the acronym stands for, I, I think it's important as we're looking to see how do we want our, you know, presumably WordPress, but whatever it is, uh, website communication you're using to uh, talk to people, that we are hoping to get information from them. We aren't just trying to broadcast out to at least most of the folks that I'm working with or certainly encourage them to say, um, you don't want to just be using this as a broadcast tool to shout at people. You want to be able to hear from them. Um, how am I going to support you financially? How am I going to support you as a volunteer? How am I going to use your services? How am I going to participate in the event? All of those things, um, there's all, again, all kinds of WordPress plugin sorts of ways to do that. Um, there are some things, though, that I think, um, as you mentioned, WordPress maybe isn't the solution for at least yet. Uh, and that is about how do we tie into those other data sources so that we're understanding things well. If you're going to do an event and you want people to register, um, I don't know that there is like a um, WordPress plugin that I would say, well, this is going to tie into your um, uh, customer relationship management database of whatever flavor you've got. So build it. More often, at least I see it the other way around, where we're just embedding those sorts of forms into the WordPress installation. So it's being collected there, but it's not being collected by WordPress. It's just kind of hiding within WordPress. Is that how Correct. you're seeing that happen more often? Yeah, that's probably the most common type of integration that we do. Yeah is not necessarily a deep API integration right. where we're pulling information directly from WordPress into another system, but rather, like you said, we're just embedding those forms. And that's typically how we engage with most most nonprofits or charities is maybe they have a donation form through BlackBot that they need embedded, right? right? And so our goal then is just to make sure that it's styled and as seamlessly 
embedded as possible so that that's not as apparent for a user that that's actually a different system. So that's really the most common type of integration though. People are coming to us more asking, you know, okay, we use MailChimp, we use, Mm -hmm. you know, lead pages, we use Eventbrite. Should we be looking at a more holistic solution that's bringing together those different data sources? Because like you mentioned earlier, if you do have that data being tracked in all these different areas, to connect the data and try to you know, identify patterns, it's almost as much work and probably as in time intensive and costly as if you were to choose a system that might do more of those things in one. So those are, I mean, really in every project at this point, no matter how big or small, we're having to answer those questions and understand how deep of integrations, should they maybe switch off a platform? Is there a WordPress plugin? And trying to kind of answer some of those questions for them. Right. And some of those big monsters that um, I'm going to, I'll use Salesforce as the example here of, you know, putting itself out there as a uh, Salesforce.org free implementation uh, for the first 10 or 12 seats, whatever it is. um, if you invest your time and energy into that platform, it also sort of wants to take over as your publishing platform too. But it is not as easy as WordPress to use, create, publish from, at least not in my experience. So there's a trade-off to be thought about there. Yeah, and it can be enticing, right? To see that to see that <laughs> free, <laughs> yeah. uh, for one. So a lot of people, a lot of nonprofits, Salesforce might be a good choice for them. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people also see that free and kind of pigeonhole it, right, and Mm -hmm. and mold it into what they would hope it would be. So that would be one caveat I would add is before you make that deep dive, just because it's free, make sure that it is right for you. And then, you know, when it comes to determining, okay, this system, like you said with MailChimp, it also does these these other things. But you should always ask, is that really kind of the core focus of what that system does well? And we see that often, for instance, we use HubSpot here. Not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's a marketing automation platform. You can also build your website within that system. Hmm. So, and that might be right for some people and it might be wrong for some people, but just understand that a lot of these systems now do so much that they can't be great at everything. Right. So try to use it for what it does best and then really look critically at some of those other elements that maybe it doesn't do as well. Well, and we're starting to run a little low on time. I want to ask a couple more things about um, kind of the leading questions that that came out of me reading that uh, blog post that asked for your, to that had me asking for some of your time in the first place. Um, part of it to me, as I was reading this about making the decision of do we go Divi because we like the visual presentation of it? Do we build a custom theme because we just need that? Whatever our answers are, I think one of those questions out there is um, turnover in the nonprofit sector is um, obnoxiously high and probably maybe it's high everywhere. I don't know. I just know it is here. And particularly within development communication staff, turnover tends to be really high. So the people that touch those sites more often tend not to hang around as long as we might like them to. So as you're building and creating and doing, is the next generation of people going to be able to pick that up and use it? Or you know, does that knowledge leave with those couple of staff folks? And now we have an integration that doesn't work for the people that are here and we've got to go back out and start again or, or get our development partner to kind of do a new round of training. Um, how do you talk to people about the, the longevity of the maintenance of the piece um, and, and how they, their staff works with it? Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the biggest reasons that we typically recommend WordPress right. is because it has 
such widespread usage, yeah. almost any communications manager, say, that you run into probably has at least experience, is aware, or has touched the system before. Whether they like it is right. another matter, <laughs> right? Whether that's their preferred platform is another matter. But at least they might be familiar. And you can't really say that for some other systems, like another CMS that we run into is Concrete 5. Oh, or, I don't even know that one. Yeah, or Expression Engine. Yeah. And so it would be rare that you would find someone with maybe even a little bit of background. So that's one advantage of WordPress. Another thing that I would have people consider is to make sure that someone isn't making too many customizations to any given site because then someone coming in new will not be familiar with why it was done that way. And you could say that the same for documenting your processes, too, in terms of uh, what the process is to update and manage content. Maybe even a log of decisions that you've made over the years can be really helpful for someone coming mm -hmm. in new. Otherwise, they're acquiring this kind of monster mess, maybe, of you know five years of blog posts and events and, and content that they're not really understanding as to why that's there. So that can be really helpful, even if you're leaving, leaving an organization um, or coming into one, is to ask those questions to get a kind of baseline understanding. The third thing I would say is having a reliable partner agency that is going to be around a long time that can, can provide some of that context mm -hmm. can be really helpful as well. If they built the original site, if you're coming in, we see this often with nonprofits we work with, say there's a new communications manager, they can come to us and we can explain and give some of that background. We have the technical infrastructure to help them more quickly for changes they're looking to make. And typically more in the nonprofit's nonprofit sector compared to the, you know, profit side, they find that really valuable yeah. because they have to wear so many hats already. They want that kind of reliable source and someone that they can tap. So I guess those would be the, the three tips I would give in terms of, uh, you know, how WordPress can make that transition more efficient. So let me ask you about um, moving between themes if you are already in the WordPress universe. You mentioned you've got five years of blog posts already out there. You don't want to lose all the in, uh, events history stuff that was there. But um, the way that the information is being presented and structured for your audiences you're figuring out is not working for you and you want to change. Um, it's, it's not as simple as flipping the switch and going, oh, look, that theme looks pretty. I'll just activate that one. Or is it sometimes that simple? It's usually not, yeah. for sure. You know, I would say rarely, if ever, right? Because typically, by changing any sort of page structure, that content might fit it well. However, staying with an existing system, there are some major efficiencies in terms of content migration or entry. And that's something a lot of people don't think about, but is usually one of the biggest or longest you know, in most time-consuming portions of a project is not only the content that needs to be rewritten or rethought out or reorganized, but also those hundreds of blog posts or events right. that if you stick with, say, WordPress and go from one WordPress install to another, the automated script that you can write to pull that content over is way more seamless than if you're looking to try to get that out of another platform, such as, say, Squarespace, really you're buying into a software there and you're kind of locked into it, it can be really hard to get that content out. So that's another reason to maybe consider open source over some of these other ones is that kind of content migration piece. Well, we didn't mention anything about that. Maybe we could touch on that as we're wrapping up about the idea of the WordPress platform being open source and, and what does that mean and how, do, how does that impact charities' choices? Yeah, so there, although WordPress is an entity, it's not proprietary, 
by any means. So anyone that works within the WordPress community, even us here at Arkstone, we're part of that community and can not edit core WordPress, obviously, but can build upon it. And meaning that it can be adaptable over time and it grows and it's not kind of locked into one software company's plan for iterating upon it. And there's a lot of value to that, especially even when you're looking to integrate other systems with. It wants to talk to other systems. You can't say that for some other software out there. So people sometimes compare, say, Squarespace to WordPress. They really aren't on the same playing field because you're really buying into a software service with Squarespace, meaning that you're kind of at the will of what they do with it. Mm -hmm. And there are definite advantages to it, and it's right for a lot of organizations. But that's one thing to be wary of. And that's the same for if you were to, it's not common anymore, but build a a custom CMS or use an agency's proprietary CMS. You're at the will of, of what they choose to do with it. There's actually a large agency here locally that just sunsetted their very proprietary CMS that they built many years ago seemed really effective, but they're not using it anymore. So all those organizations now have to move off of that. And there's ramifications to that, of course. So in terms of the flexibility that you kind of need as a nonprofit, open source should be a, a strong consideration. And it's even for large organizations, it's becoming, you know, at least on the table or the option that they want to go with. So we're running a little low on time, and I'm just wondering if there are um, any um, areas of this conversation about um, making decisions. Oh, we didn't really touch on Divi very much. We have a few minutes. I don't know if there's anything you want to mention specifically about um, them, but just let me throw the, the door open of what haven't we talked about that might be important as you're thinking about these things within charities. You know, I really always go back to kind of the strategic decisions mm-hmm. and thinking through your audience. You know, before you embark on any project, don't make any assumptions about what your audience needs, even though you know them really well. Try talking to them, survey them, jump on the phone, see what they really are looking for and what they need. Don't make assumptions about, you know, we must have this board portal or everyone loves to see our latest events or and those are kind of extreme examples, right? But unless you talk to the end user, you don't really know and you're never going to know everything, but that can really help you clarify and prioritize because that's that's what's most important when you have multiple audiences and features that you need, right? Is you can't do everything, so you have to kind of prioritize. So that's just kind of what I would stress in terms of if you're thinking about doing a project, start there and to to kind of build a better map for what you need. Yeah. In terms in terms of Divi, you know, I want to add a caveat that it's not the right system for everybody, mm-hmm. but the biggest advantage to us as an agency is it allows us to build someone a great looking custom, you know, looking site mm-hmm. that is much lower cost. So the reason that it's lower cost is it cuts down a lot of our kind of design and development time that we need because we're able to essentially use their site builder to rapidly build a site and then apply your styles to it. So that's why, and you can read the post if you want more information. We actually have several different ones on on the pros and cons of Divi. And so it allows some flexibility and lower cost options. However, there are some downsides. Divi sites can tend to be a little bit slower because there's a lot of code Mm -hmm. that is added that allows you to then build it out rapidly, right? 
Um, there can be some SEO ramifications depending on how it's built because, like we said, there is a lot of extra code in there that wouldn't necessarily be in a more streamlined custom build. And so, like anything, there's there's pros and cons, but we found that it ends up being just a really good, simple, clean solution for a lot of nonprofits. Typically, less than 50 pages of content is kind of a good spot for Divi because once you get beyond that, you're looking at more customized navigation, and you have to play within their rules and use the modules that we have. So, uh, so whenever I'm looking at that situation, I try to help the organization map their needs to that if it's an option, or you know, look into some other options as well. Great. I, I want to just very quickly touch on that point that you were making about uh, what are the users really looking for. And often a starting point for that is to kind of go back and look at existing analytics of you know what has been popular. But I think it's very important to remind people of within the choices and framework you've given them in the past, here's what works. Um, and I, I, I often um, fight back when people say, well, you know, you know, folks, uh, um, you know, like to see news coverage of, you know, violent events or whatever, if it bleeds, it leads. I'm like, well, that's because that's what you present. That's not necessarily what people want. It's what is presented. And if that's the choice, you know, then that's what they get and whatever. So that user testing question phase of not what have we presented you in the past and how have we presented it to you in the past, but what could we be doing that might be useful to you um, can be a very informative thing for um, charities and any web user to really dig into. So again, a, uh, an outside partner can be extremely useful in opening your eyes that way when you think, well, of course everybody wants to see our board page. You know, that's a natural thing. And you go, well, really? Have you... You know, not only looked at your own analytics about that, but have you really asked to people? I mean, are they going to the board page because it's the only button on the homepage and that's what people do when they get there? I mean, there's all sorts of reasons, but that's not necessarily the same thing as it's what they want. It's sort of what was easy to get to from what was presented, and that can be different. Yeah, that's a great point. I always try to say, you know, take those analytics with a grain of salt because mm -hmm. people are using your site that way because that's how it is. Right. Right? So there is important information to gleam there, but... You can also get information overload and then you get kind of paralyzed, right? That goes the same for, you know, I recommend, you know, interviewing your audience and kind of doing some of that research, but there's a line there too. You know, mm -hmm. if you go overboard, you're going to say, gosh, there's a lot here that we need to try to accomplish. Yeah. So I would recommend kind of pulling out some higher level themes, matching those against your goals and priorities and, and some of those audience needs and try to be pragmatic and, and prioritize those rather than, you know, once again, feeling like you need to, to serve everyone, you know, on every page. That is a great way to wrap up the conversation. So uh, Jenna Christensen, digital strategist at Arkstone, thank you so much. Of course, it's great.